0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Death of Death, where we proclaim Christ's victory over sin, death, and everything else. I'm your host, Nick Stewart. Hope you all had a uh, wonderful Easter weekend. I'm uh, going to California this week, so I had to have uh, next week's episode ready as well as this one, so I thought uh, I would take this opportunity to give you guys a little taste of the Elect Exclusive Edition. That's the uh, exclusive podcast I do once a month over on Patreon. I've been going through Christopher Hitchens' book on atheism, Uh, God is Not Great. Uh, And this month I was joined by a patron and a very good friend of mine, Brian Seitz. He and I talked about chapters three and four. It's got pigs. It's got circumcision. It's got man bear pig, in fact. And, you know, you're going to have to listen to no more. Uh, I figured this would be a great episode to share with you all and show you what you're missing by not being a member of the elect. If you want to sign up, just go over to patreon.com deathofdeath of death, and it's just $4 a month. I like to say that's less than a good cup of coffee, so remember that every time you buy coffee. Patrons also get the free show three days early, and you get a twenty percent discount on merchandise if you message me on there and ask for a code. So if those aren't enough reasons to sign up, I, I just don't know what you want from me. You know, I can't do anymore. Uh, I recorded this episode through my headphones, and I had a little trouble with some spikes in the audio. uh I compressed them, and you know, tinkered with them and stuff, and. Uh, It won't sound super loud to you or startle you, but it did have some distortion on my voice every once in a while, so if that's unpleasant sounding to you, I apologize, but it does only happen a few times, so it should be all right. I just wanted you guys to know that I also know that there was a problem with the audio, that it was not mere incompetence that let that uh, fly by my attention. Uh, So I think that's all I've got to say leading into this episode. So let's turn it over now for some great fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. pretend to say hi to each other for the first time just now
1: <laughs> you got it
0: brian seitz oh my gosh it's good to see you wow your beard looks amazing <laughs>
1: Nick! oh i've missed you man, so much man. How's, oh i like the cheetah mug too what's going oh, on with that you. grr grr man i i so um a couple of things there one you asked me to read a book with you and i was honored yeah. to be a part of any any part of that and then you asked me to read chapter three so when I read chapter three, it was the, one of the shortest chapters in the book, which I thought maybe was a commentary on my intellect. Um, but then the other part about chapter three that I really found enjoyable was all about pigs and being a former police officer. I thought, wow, this is a double whammy. And so now that you bring up, you've got this mug and you've had it since you were 10, Nick, I don't think I've had anything since I was 10. And so is this an ageism type thing too? Are you hitting me on all three sides? No, no, no. See, I'm a hoarder. Yeah, <laughs>
0: I didn't realize that till I got married, but a uh, pretty severe one, um, oh. I should say, for, uh, for both of those other things you brought up, I did not look ahead, I've <laughs> never read this book before, I started this book once, and then uh, got yeah. distracted with The End of Faith by Sam Harris, so I never finished this one, but I realized when I wanted to start reading it, I should do all this for the podcast. So the next chapter was chapter three. I had no idea what it was, and I, I hit you and uh, Nick Quint up uh, to do some episodes on this book. And uh, you got back to me, and and we're ready to do chapter three. So I just decided, okay, whatever it is, we'll do it. And I and I still didn't read it until just a few days ago. So uh, yeah, shortest yeah.
1: chapter of the book, all about pigs. Thanks, yeah. Nick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh man! It's all like, right, you know, as believers,
1: <laughs> as believers, we're all about grace and redemption and charity. So mm-hmm. we're going to go ahead and implement those right now as we speak. Okay.
0: Well, you know what? I never would have made the comparison. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was all you. So I, <laughs> uh, no, I, I appreciate you doing the uh, the show, and uh, you know we've actually talked about Christopher Hitchens before, but I, I don't know if either of us have ever engaged with his actual um, literature before. So, uh, right, I know that that he's a, a great untapped resource and a very interesting <laughs> atheist in general.
1: Yeah, so I'm weird, <laughs> um, and well, my wife would all is. are. Yeah, my wife would agree with that. But so I have like weird hobbies, and one of them is I like to, I get engaged with certain viewpoints that are opposite of mine. Uh-huh. So back in the day, I used to love to read Christopher Hitchens. I, I can't say I read his books, but he used to write for I want to say the New Yorker. He would write for right. a lot of publications, and if I saw his name, I would almost always read it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, you know, I used to read Camille Paglia all the time. I love to read her. <laughs> She's like the opposite of who I am. But Chris Pobletty said to me a while ago, it's less important to me on some of the beliefs you hold as long as you can explain the reason you have those beliefs. Hmm. And Camille is one of those persons that can explain those beliefs. And so I used to read her all the time. She's kind of disappeared. Um, and, you know, like Andrew Sullivan is another one if you ever, if you're familiar no, with him. Not at all. So he's current. I would highly encourage you to read him. I think you would find him fascinating. Andrew he's Sullivan. There. Yeah, he called. It used to be called Philly's Dish. Um, he has a newsletter that he publishes all the time, and uh, so he is a gay Catholic man who takes his faith very seriously, um, and also his sexuality very seriously. And watching him work through those things is interesting. Again, not a person I tend to agree with on a lot of things, like Glenn Greenwald. You know, he's another guy that, in my mind, has got an, an intellectual curio- curiosity and a morality that. Attracts me. Yeah. So Christopher Hitchens, that's a long-winded way of saying I'm very familiar with Christopher Hitchens, although I can't recall ever reading a full Tomei.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Likewise, I've seen Collision at least uh, twice. I don't know if you know that movie.
1: Um, I do. I do. I watched it. uh, I heard you mention it on a podcast. Knowing that this was going to come up, I sought it out and watched it. Oh,
0: perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. uh, For anyone listening who doesn't know, that is a movie that uh, was about Christopher Hitchens and Doug Wilson, uh, a Christian and an atheist doing like a speaking tour. I don't know if there was a book behind it, but, uh, it was like a speaking tour where they debated, uh, atheism. I think specifically whether Christianity has been good for the world, I think was what they were really talking about. Um, but it's a very good movie.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it. And it's, it's like you had mentioned. Um, and so I'll get slightly controversial. And since this is your show, I anticipate (laughs) a rebuke, I anticipate a (laughs) rebuke and maybe the screen will go dark, but, um, I was, I was not overly excited about some of Wilson's arguments on stage, mm. although I thought his arguments in the backseat of the limo were, were, were wonderful.
0: Really, um, okay. And
1: I would say the same thing about Hitchens, too. And so that led me, um, many, many years ago when my daughter was going to Biola, um, she invited me to attend the Hitchens versus William Lane Craig debate, because mm. she knew I was a fan of both people. Uh-huh. And uh, I, my memory is faulty, so I, I might have got this wrong, but I believe I had tickets. I believe there was a strong desire to go and I got sick. I so I ended up um, watching that debate way back then, and I watched it again after the Douglas Wilson one. And for my money, um, our favorite Molinist, because uh, William Lane Craig is a Molinist, <laughs> yeah. uh, our favorite Molinist wiped the floor with Hitchcock's. Really?
0: Really? Okay. Yeah. And, I'm going to have to watch that. It,
1: he did it so kindly and lovingly Mm -hmm. and really what you would want somebody who is practicing the way of Jesus to do it. Mm -hmm. And William Lane Craig, um, he definitely kind of went for the jugular, but he did it with a smile and then offered a bandaid afterwards, (laughs) which which I, which I thought was beautiful because some others, some other, the debates, um, were, were less charitable. One of my my favorites and and the way I got sincerely exposed to Hitchens was through Larry Taunton. Um, and so he, I haven't seen Larry Taunton's name in the news in many, many years, but he is an evangelical. He he had a ministry and since we're FaceTiming on my computer, I can't Google anything right now. So, (laughs) so I'm, I'm, I'm crippled here. Uh, (laughs) but, but Larry Taunton wrote two books featuring Christopher Hitchens. Okay. And, and one of them wrote
0: the faith of, Christopher Hitchens, didn't he? Yeah. Right.
1: Okay. Yep. Yeah. And so th- I thought both of those books were really beautiful and compelling, and and honestly gave me hope for Hitchens.
0: Yeah, yeah. He um, tells the story about doing Bible study with Christopher Hitchens in the park, and right. Christopher Hitchens brought scotch to the park <laughs> to drink yes. some Black Label to drink while they were doing Bible study or uh, yeah. mutual textual criticism is what he wanted to call it. <laughs>
1: yes well and you you know from knowing me fairly well that i can never remember the names of books it's mm. just like something so he taunton wrote one book that he and his wife adopted a a girl if i remember right from russia or from the ukraine actually and they intentionally adopted her knowing that she had rickets and aids mm. and he and hitchens had recently met on the debate circuit and hitchens could not understand why it is that you would do this. You know this child has got, you know, these horrendous diseases. You know this child's uh, chances of thriving are slim to none. Why would you do this? And so that was one of the ways that Larry exposed Hitchens to the doctrines of grace and of love and just sacrifice. And then the book that you mentioned, um, he and Hitchens actually did a road trip where they drove around a good part of the country – just basically talking about God or lack of God when it was Hitchens. And I, one of my favorite parts is when they, they load up for the trip, Hitchens has a, a clothing bag, but he also basically brought an entire case of Johnny Walker because that was his scotch. And Hitchens would want to drive around and pour himself a drink, as he would say. So, Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yep.
0: Man, what an interesting guy. He, um, I've, I've heard that he actually was uh, pro-life, by the end of his life. I don't, I've, haven't searched to see if that's uh, true, but uh, it, it would explain well having right. interactions with people like that. Uh, that would kind of explain how he's uh, evolved some of his, his views on that. As a
1: fallible being, I reserve the right to be wrong in much of what I think and say. Um, but if memory serves, do you know the story of how Hitchens came to be a United States citizen? No. So he became a United States c- citizen in direct response to 9-11. Oh really? Yeah, he huh. was he was so upset and compelled by what he saw as the duplicitousness of faith and a uh, he was frustrated with the police actions before and when the United States stood up and was attacked a- after being attacked they stood up he was he was compelled to come to the US and be a part of that system.
0: Wow. Interesting. I did huh? not know that. Didn't know that?
1: So, Fun facts for a thousand, Alex. <laughs> so
0: uh, just just for the most basic intro, um, I want to ask what you thought about these chapters just kind of on the surface. And then I also, um, I think first we should probably mention why should two Christians get together and, and talk about uh, a book about atheism?
1: Sure. Sure. So you want me, me to go first on what I thought about them? Um, Let's start with why, why we would okay. do this. So I, I, you know, I think I mentioned it or alluded to it earlier with Camille Paglia and Andrew mm-hmm. Sullivan and um, some others. Joan Didion is another one um, with brilliant intellectual minds that I disagree with. And my my desire, and there's not enough time in the day, but my desire is to understand to the best of my abilities why they think so differently than I mm-hmm in case I've missed something. okay. And so, in in that type of thing, I feel like I'm a fairly committed follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I don't always wear that comfortably, um, but I desire to. And I'm fascinated less by people who are, um, you know, the the new lexicon, the new language of today is tribal. I'm fascinated less by people in my tribe and more by people who I think are brilliant Mm -hmm. that refuse to be a part of my tribe. And I, you know, I, I learn a ton of stuff from Christopher Hitchens. I learn a ton of stuff from people who think very, very differently from me. And sometimes what I learn, um, um, strengthens my faith and faith. And sometimes it actually challenges it. So it makes me dig deeper and be more rigorous in, uh, you know, the defense of my faith, an apologetics aspect. Although I don't like to go around arguing with people, but you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think, um, most atheist arguments kind of repeat themselves, and they're yeah. they're. I do come across them sometimes, where it's like, wow, I've never really heard that angle of it. But then once you've heard it, you've heard it. So uh, every every bit of atheism you can get your hands on will equip you in the future to kind of deal with some of those arguments.
1: Yeah, when I was a newer believer, I would intentionally seek them out. YouTube was a new thing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I would watch as many debates as I could. I would read, you know, sites like Greg Kugel sites. Um, all oh, kinds I love of
0: stuff.
1: him. Yeah, just trying to understand. You know, William, that's how one of the ways I found William Lane Craig. And you now, when I read William Lane Craig, oftentimes he's over my head. Um, he's a, he's a, not an easy read sometimes, but very compelling. And the atheists, like, did you ever see the movie Expelled? Yeah. So Dawkins is interviewed as part of that movie, and it's a, mm-hmm. it's a Ben Stein production, and it, it basically is talking about cancel culture before anybody knew what those terms were. Yeah. You know, that movie's probably 15 years old, if not older. Pretty sure it came out in 2008.
0: Yeah. Did that it was, really? That was okay, definitely so. before cancel culture was, like, part of the vernacular yeah
1: so we'll go we'll go 13 years then so um in that he interviews dawkins and and dawkins is again another brilliant guy who's got lots of interesting reasons for his belief but ben stein rather than falling for all the straw men and i think that's what this book is full of is is a bunch of straw men ben stein just kept asking well so okay but how did life begin yeah okay i understand that but how did life begin okay i understand that and ultimately dawkins um, proffered a theory that um, space sperm had had you know been sent to this planet and that and that we were essentially germinated by outer space beans and and honestly i think one of the things that that society does and this is what i i struggle with uh, in our news feed nowadays is it it should be a little bit more court like where you get asked a question you answer the question you might clarify it and then you move on but we don't do that anymore. We keep beating and beating and beating and beating yeah. where if we would just ask this question, you know, if I said, you know, Nick, what's what's your favorite color? And you say it's red and I want you to say it's purple. W- what's the point in me? Okay, you said it's red. Now let's move on. Yeah. And instead, we're always trying to change each other's minds where it should be okay to sit in similar spaces and think differently.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I don't know if it was in expelled or if it was a commentary on that movie, but they basically said uh, Richard Dawkins' big argument against intelligent design
1: is intelligent design <laughs> by <Right>. aliens. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> absolutely. Hilarious. Which is which is a little bit what I found about Dawkins, um, and I've only read the first four chapters, so I'm not an expert on it. But uh, specifically, chapter three, he he in one vein he argues that the notion of not eating pork is ridiculous because pork is good food. Um, and so these antiquated people were idiots. Um, and how dare they not eat pork? And then a short time later, he says, well, but we do have to realize that pork are the, you know, pigs are probably the closest thing to man. The skin yes. is the same. I, and this is the same. And I'm like, yeah. And they're okay, so intelligent. I, right. They're so intelligent. Yeah. They squeal just like humans when trapped. Mm. And I thought to myself, okay this isn't where I thought you were going to go with this. Yeah. But, but don't you think you've just kind of defeated your own argument? I
0: I literally had that question written down for you. Like, do you think that he, he defeated his own argument at pretty much every turn? (laughs) He even mentions how filthy they are. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's,
1: it's so that, so it, it got me thinking a little more deeply on some areas that candidly, I just haven't thought about much. And so I was going through the list of what was going on and, and why those things were. And, you know, I know that pigs have trichinosis. I don't know that trichinosis was a thing back in in antiquity, in Old Testament days. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I really, mm-hmm. somebody else probably does. I, but, I did you know, some
0: th- research on that for, for the episode, so we'll, we'll get into that shortly. Okay,
1: because there's another animal that has that carries trichinosis that I would assume would have been okay for the Israelites to eat. It is mentioned in the Bible, but I don't know. And maybe you'll know the answer to that, too. Bears make uh, a couple of pretty important appearances in the old Bible. Like, you know, I know, is a man devoid of of, uh, hair on top of your head? (laughs) I think there's a story about an old bald guy who uh, sticks a couple of bears on a bunch of kids.
0: I just read that yesterday. That's so
1: insane. (laughs) That just happened to be in my Bible plan yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, but we're gonna call that Providence, Nick. Yes, we're just gonna go. It is,
0: yeah, absolutely. But But yeah, I don't. Bears are like the number one source of trichinosis. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess he he definitely kind of undercut his own point by starting off talking about the filthy and almost immoral (laughs) nature of pigs, because he even mentions how they eat their own kids sometimes and they eat eat feces and stuff. So we kind of already covered that, like didn't really make a whole lot of uh internal sense with uh calling people idiots for not <laughs> eating them.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then talks about how intelligent they are and how awesome and then ends it by saying that he had some of the best pork of his life in Spain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he kind of just bookends it with uh, you know, we should eat them and then in the middle kind of gets sympathetic toward them. But uh I think it almost shows just like what a varied thinker he really is because he is able to see these different points of view and kind of hold them in tension. It just doesn't do a whole lot for his argument, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, ver- I I would say varied thinker is a very charitable way of saying it. I would, I would almost say inconsistent.
0: Yeah. Well, definitely.
1: For a guy who's as brilliant as, as Hitchens yeah. is, I would have expected him to work through that a little better. especially when you're writing it down in a book. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He's definitely, I mean, every atheist is very inconsistent um, unless I I guess, unless they kill themselves or unless they're complete nihilists. um, (laughs) Even, I mean, like technically that's, that's where it all should go. Um, So I, I, I think any atheist is inconsistent, but we're definitely reading the absolute best of that inconsistency in, uh, in Hitchens, I think he definitely beats out Dawkins and Harris. He's definitely my favorite atheist. I don't know if he's yours. Oh, for sure. Yes. Because, <laughs> well, one,
1: I think it's the accent. Oh, yeah. Right? And and the, I mean, he's like, if if Will Ferrell got up on the wrong side of the bed every day, that's Christopher Hitchens in my mind. <laughs> he's, he's got that witty, sarcastic... um just a cynical cynical guy but he does it with like a twinkle in his eye and a smile (laughs) in the corner of his mouth and there's something about me at least that really enjoys that and maybe that's a bad part of me but i think will ferrell's funny i do i laugh out loud i think christopher hitchens is funny i laugh out loud
0: yeah definitely um he, he definitely speaks to that part of me that uh you know, I don't know, man, I don't know how I've, I've avoided uh, physical altercations all my life, because I say, some, <laughs> I say some pretty gnarly stuff to people, but I just, uh, I got a look in my eyes, I guess, that shows them that I really care, and I get away with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it's like you're 6'3", and you look like Bill the Butcher from My uh, Gangs <laughs> of New York, so, you know,
0: that helps. That is for sure the greatest compliment I've ever received <laughs> in my whole life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, are you excited or more like hesitant for the possibility of a Pigman clone that we might Ooh. see in the future?
1: <laughs> well, I think we can all relate everything back to The Simpsons. Oh, and they okay. did have Bear Man Pig. Oh, that was South Park. Oh, it was South yeah, Okay, yeah. thank you. Man Bear Pig. Man Bear Pig, thank you. Man Bear Pig. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you have questions, so if you want, we can just sort of stick to the questions and then, you know, you know what? I do
0: just to kind of <laughs> keep us on track, but if it goes somewhere else like uh, man bear okay. pig, I'm certainly uh, <laughs> not opposed to kind of going wherever wherever it goes. So
1: how could you be?: <laughs> You're
0: right. Uh, well, uh, before we move on, is there anything from the first two chapters that you really thought was worth noting, or anything that like really jumped out at you?
1: Yeah, let me. I have. I did take some notes in my phone here, and there really wasn't a lot there. I felt like those chapters were almost warm ups. Yeah. Um, Semi autobiographical. Yeah, I have my my notes. I have page five. So let me look to page five here. <laughs> well, it says more than that.
0: Oh, okay. Um, but I do that. I'll make a note of like uh, page six of this thing, and then it's like, well, now I got to go look. What, <laughs> why? Why didn't I just write down what it was?
1: Yeah, so I, I have a quote from the book, and it's um, Our belief is not a belief. Our principles are not a faith. We do not rely solely upon science and reason because these are necessary rather than sufficient factors, but we distrust anything that contradicts science or outrages reason. And I, I yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting quote. Um, obviously, it I was interesting enough for me to, to type it into my phone with my ginormous thumb. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's just such a you use the word nihilist it's just such a i don't know yeah it it makes me sad yeah well
0: i think that really shows his inconsistency and where presuppositional apologetics really nails it because that is a belief he just described do you believe that you don't believe anything and that you only believe science and anything that contradicts science and I know I said this on the episode where I covered that chapter, but uh, it's worth repeating here. Uh, science has changed a lot. Things that were scientific opinion 200 years ago are witchcraft now, you know? like oh, yeah. You know, so like you are putting your absolute faith in this thing that changes all the time. And and we've got the same Bible for 2,000-plus
1: years. (laughs) I I have three adult kids, and they have spouses, and they're all amazing adults. And I I don't recall ever intentionally bleeding any of them because that was science 200 years ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's the belief. I think it was George Washington probably died from being bled too much. Really? Um, yeah. I, th- I think it's Washington again. I reserve the yeah. right to be wrong and all facts I throw out there. Sure. But, but uh, yeah. Sure. There yeah. ain't no fact checkers on this show.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it? The last administration, um, something about uh, facts and then Al-
0: alternative. Facts? Alternative. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that was the day you. of the inauguration. Uh, so it was, it was, I think it was regarding how many people were at the inauguration, and someone yeah. called the, uh, the uh, spokesperson, uh, what would you call that, like the public relations person for yeah, Trump's yeah, yeah. campaign, uh, who was promptly fired, I think, yes. and, and uh, they called her on it, and she was like, well, you know, you can't blame people for presenting <laughs> alternative facts. Alternative facts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hilarious. So, yeah, that's, and that's a quote from uh, Hitchens. He says, the sentence above it says, um, uh, and here's the point about myself and my co-thinkers, and then he launches into that. And basically, if, if it's if it's not current science, then it's out. Yeah. And as you pointed out, you know, one of those old apologetics tricks is, um, uh, you know, how much knowledge do you think exists in the cosmos? Nah right yeah. if you could draw like if you like let's let's not do it to scale obviously but let's mm-hmm. like take this piece of paper how much of this piece of paper represents knowledge okay and how much of that knowledge do you personally have and maybe somebody who's got a tiny bit of humility will put a dot mm-hmm. okay so all of this stuff exists outside this dot yet you're 100% convinced that you have enough knowledge to make potentially the most important decision forever yeah and I felt like Hitchens fell into that trap.
0: Yeah. And if there is one thing outside of that dot that wouldn't even necessarily contradict the dot, but just change or alter the way you interpret that dot. Right. Everything you believe is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a numbers game that I'm not
1: willing to play. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny that, you know, the Bible gets um, tagged a lot with being a, a flat earth document and i think there are there are arguments to be had in there the four corners you know of the world held up but i also think that it talks about um a view from space where it's a round orb floating in the sky
0: i think it's isaiah 40 the circle of the earth
1: and so there's there's these tensions here and can you imagine you know and so when i see um, uh, People going after extremes, even if I'm in not necessarily that extreme camp, but I'm in that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what it was like to have been a true flat earther and discover that the world was round, right? I mean, we still have people who think that we didn't land on the moon. We still have people that think, you know, in, in some capacity that we live on a flat earth. I, I, I just don't understand that. And I don't think they should be publicly mocked. Um, I don't know. I don't, well, I don't, I don't, I don't think that falls in the way of Jesus, Nick, but I do think that that's a, and so I say publicly, but I uh-huh. do think that that's a conversation that should be had. Yeah. And if one of my friends was a sincere flat earther, I wouldn't, you know, tag him in a public way so everybody could say, Hey, look at this crazy yeah. flat earther. Oh, but, right. if, yeah. but if he and I were in the backyard having a conversation, I would say, dude, I, I love you so much. I, I have to challenge you on this yeah. and I, and I, I hope your skin is thick enough to, to take it. Yeah. And challenge me back. Tell me I'm wrong, and maybe that's why I'm I'm drawn to the Hitchens type characters.
0: Yeah, yeah. Who did definitely... you know,
1: chapter chapter four when we get to that? Mm-hmm. That was painful. It Was painful to read, and yeah. and and he's not wrong. Yeah. Now I can tell you that I, in my mind it's only part of the story.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but he's not wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean he. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you later, but I mean, it's definitely worth asking now. Do you think that the behavior of cert, like certain Christians or certain groups of Christians uh reflect the truthfulness of the Bible at all?
1: Uh yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot of beautiful people out there. I think there's yeah. a lot of people who are doing their best um to be that reflection. I yeah. just think there's a lot of people, it, it, it's that old trope on, you know, why would I expect somebody to follow a book they haven't read and to emulate a God they actually don't know, yet call themselves Christians? Mm-hmm. Why would I expect them to act properly? Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, in our daily walk, it's an interesting conversation when you get the opportunity, so when was the last time you read the Bible cover to cover? There aren't a lot of people that can say they have, mm. and it's a really difficult book. I would love to tell you that I just get it. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> it's just not true. Yeah, I talk to people like you. I talk to. I read commentaries. I listen to other podcasts. I'm always trying to help understand different things. And and you know one of my favorite images for the Bible is a uh, Tim Mackey image or at least that's the first place I heard it, and he's one of the, the head guys for the Bible Project. Love the and, Bible Project. Yeah, I do too. And he says, when you open your Bible, look at it, um, look at the print as if it was modern. And if it were modern, you would see almost every other word, if not every word, blue, because it would be a hypertext, like you're looking at on your, your computer, and when you clicked on that, it would take you so many other places in the mm-hmm. Bible would make your head spin. Yeah. And so his point is you can't just read, you know, I'm going through Deuteronomy right now. That's a rough book, but you can't just read it and, and take that entirely at its face and say, well, that's all there is to Deuteronomy. Oh, no, 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 no. It's setting up so much for the future. Mm-hmm. It's commenting so much on the past. It's also commenting on, a, on a, a lifestyle and a time that you and I have very little knowledge of. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we live in the Western U.S., and we're a very individualistic, uh, capitalistic society, and, and the Bible is none of those things. The, the Bible is an honor-shame culture. It's, they're more of the beehive than, um, you know, take your solitary animal, whatever that might be. They're more of the collective. It's about what's the, the good for the whole mm-hmm. rather than focusing on the individual, and when we make everything about the individual, some of the archaic good for the whole looks crazy to us, back to chapter three, with, with cleanliness laws and what to eat and what not to eat. But if you're looking at the good of the organism, maybe it makes a ton of great sense.
0: Yeah.
1: And I feel, like, I feel like Hitchens, who talks about hermeneutics and exegesis, I, I feel like he gave that short shrift. I feel like, I don't know who was advising him in his learning process on this, but I feel like he didn't talk to the right guy. I feel like if he would have talked to a Tim Mackey, if he would have really sat down and and studied under some of those people, maybe he would have seen things in a much different light. Yeah. Which is not, not to place the pressure on Tim Mackey because um, I don't think it's our job to bring anybody to the Lord. It's our job or our place to expose them. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them.
0: Absolutely. He, he has so much to say about like how Christians have acted throughout history and like some of the atrocities that have been done in the name of Christ. But then he kind of makes this conclusion that uh, because they've acted so wickedly, the things they believe cannot be true. <laughs> and I, I just find that to be a really lame answer that you see everywhere. Uh, <laughs> because I mean, that's the first, I mean, the Crusades are the first argument against God that you get and it's like well what does that what does one actually have to do with the other i get it but it doesn't actually make any logical sense if you think about it you
1: know right well and the crusades were a response Mm -hmm. albeit a defective and deficient one um it may have started off in on the right foot and ended up horribly wrong and i think maybe it's okay that we get beat up with the crusades even into the 21st century um but That Chapter 4 was a really brutal read because he basically, for those who haven't read it, he points out uh, atrocity after atrocity done in the name of faith. And his two biggest um, suspects, if you will, on the world stage are um, Muslims and Christians. And I think that's for a number of reasons. I mean, um, probably because we're the the, the big boys on the block. So it's easier to find those things and point them out. But I, I would, you know, if I could help Hitchens, I would say, find me a faith that doesn't have an atrocity behind it. You know, Ga- Gandhi was no prince. Yeah. We, we look at Gandhi and think he was just this wonderful, you know, vegetarian sage, and he actually sidled up with the Nazis and, yeah. and did a lot of uh, horrible things. Yeah. Um, and so when, when Hitchens does that, though, it, I was thinking yesterday, trying to come up with an analogy in anticipation of our conversation. And so the analogy I came up with, and the, and why this chapter left me so flat, even though it was devastating, is imagine like I was trying to imagine what's the greatest charity? What's the like if I think of something that I look at and I think, man, that's just wonderful, and I would be willing to give them a lot of my money and a lot of my you know time, treasure, and talent. And so the one that I came up with is the Make a Wish Foundation, yeah. right? I mean, there's a foundation that looks to be good. They take kids that are terminal, and they give them their final wish. And I'm telling you, when I see those kids at Disneyland or, at a, or you know, pitching a, 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 a ball off the mound at Dodger Stadium, I, I well up with tears. That, that gives me so much joy okay. that somebody out there is doing that. Now, if you use the Google machine and you put in oh, Make-A-Wish no. yeah, make Foundation scandals. Oh, no you'll be blown away at how many there are.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I figured things happen, but is it is it like a widespread <laughs> problem? No, I don't. You? And yeah. I'm not okay. trying to
1: talk bad about the organization. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm actually still a huge fan. What I'm trying cool. to say is I liken that to Christianity. The yeah. Make-A-Wish Foundation, I got to think that almost everybody that is a part of that is a part of it for the right reasons there's a few people that go in for the wrong reasons and those are our wolves and sheep's clothing and there's structures and, and and devices in place to hopefully weed those out okay. occasionally somebody gets in there and you know as tim keller calls it the idol of the heart one of the idols of the heart speaks to them whether it's fame or money, or something, and so you've had a number of scandals in the Make a Wish Foundation where somebody has um, stolen money. That, that's not a shocker, right? They've taken yeah. millions of dollars. You, you. There was one scandal where one of the children, her mom, actually later killed her. That's that's horrible. That that's not necessarily yeah. a reflection of the Make a Wish Foundation, but we get put under an umbrella as Christian. Yeah. There's a lot of I I, I actually recoiled when he used a vile term for mother Teresa. So Christopher Hitchens did Mm -hmm. in in that. And I, and I was like, okay, I don't know that much about mother Teresa, but there's not a lot of people I think of that have actually given their life in a more significant and heartrending way than mother Teresa. And, and whatever her, her faith is in those moments, she's putting the other first. That's sacrificial beyond anything I've done or have been willing to do. And so it's hard for me to be down on a Mother Teresa-like figure, Mm -hmm. even though she's imperfect. Yeah. Christopher Hitchens demands perfection out of his religions, and there just isn't any.
0: Yeah. Well, really, on the hypocritical side of it, uh, atheism tends to lead to statism. Sure. 90% of the time, and I'm probably being generous with that leads to a good healthy statism and I don't think any religion in world history has killed more people than statism <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because it, because it encompasses so many other kinds of things.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a great point, Nick. And I think one of the things that we're doing um, is we're starting to understand uh, a, a better way to define religion mm-hmm. and in my way of defining religion um it makes communists religious zealots. Yeah. It makes the uh, climate change people, many of them, not all of them, but it makes them religious zealots. Okay. When the, you know, it's like the the uh, Earth First people uh, and the zero population growth people. They they want to kill other people um, in order to preserve Earth. And Linda and I have recently been watching Infinity Wars. You know that whole series. No. The Avengers series. Oh, the Avengers, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've we've never seen it. Yeah. And so I just watched the second to the last one and I don't remember which one it is. I think it's Infinity Wars. Anyway, yeah. the the guy with the big chin, the bad guy. Yeah, Thanos. Thanos, thank you. He's a climate zealot. Yeah. <laughs> that's all he is. Exactly. <laughs> right? And so that's a religion. He wants to yeah. be God. And that's what these people want to do. They want to be God because they know what's best for your life. Yeah. And that's where the trouble starts. And that's where Christianity, in my mind, is so different, in that we've got somebody who's identified as God. And God says, I don't have any intention of forcing you into a belief or a practice or a faith. I want you to come willingly. I want that all should come, but you need to make the decision. And he allows that to happen, where Islam or some other religions, if you're in their country and you're not practicing, you're either shunned at best— or at worst, you're actually physically harmed. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know a, a true form of Christianity that believes that. Yeah.
0: Did you get a chance to read Thaddeus Williams' new book on I social did. justice? Yeah. Did you like it? Loved it. Yeah. He uh, he did a talk uh, that was live streamed on, on Facebook, I think, probably a few other places, but uh, promoting the book, and I, I watched it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was the only thing I got to experience because I'm all the way over here in Oklahoma now. Uh, But he (laughs) he listed all these atrocities and he said, like the Holocaust, apartheid, uh, Rwanda. He just listed like 15, like a boggling number of these. And he's like, can anyone tell me what the the one thing these all had in common? And now the answer he was looking for was tribalism. (laughs) But the answer that first came to my mind was those were all governments that did all those things. Oh, and interesting. so kind of bringing it back around, uh, so my point is that like, yeah, atheism tends to lead to a whole lot of atrocities that are almost incalculable, but not, right. not that it's the things that atheism leads to, not necessarily atheism, uh, atheism in itself, you know, but, yeah. um, yeah. But I've yeah, just always thought that's interesting. When, when
1: I like your perspective about governments, too. That's interesting. Yeah. So I lost my train of thought, too, as I was talking. And where, where I was intending to lead when I first brought up the topic about communism is that if we define communism or atheism as a religion, which mm-hmm. I do, atheism and communism have led to many more deaths, yeah. times a, a magnitude that we can't comprehend, many more deaths than your standard variety of... Muslim or Christian or Hindu, or on and on and on, absolutely I mean, Pol Pot, you know uh, mao uh, lenin, stalin those yeah. milli- tens of millions of people dead at the hands of atheists
0: I think with those four dudes you just mentioned, we could be reaching almost a hundred million dead yeah oh i, mean, I bet I, mean, I Stalin was twenty million alone, yeah, I yeah. bet it 's a lot
1: more than that, but yeah,
0: yeah just with the four you mentioned yeah. <laughs> I mean there's so many more. Right. Uh, crazy. Well, on on the topic of uh, you know mass death, uh, he does mention that uh, pigs and uh, human meat is supposed to taste similar. Have you ever tried this delicacy?
1: I did not <laughs> know that. That I'm I'm not even sure I'm going to accept that as fact. I'm not quite <laughs> yeah. sure yeah. what. Well, he admits he doesn't know, so I
0: don't yes, know why he yes. that
1: in the book. I mean, <laughs> if there is still some sort of tribe in some interesting place that is still eating flesh and they've got a comparison i would be curious to see um the blind taste test you know like coke and pepsi in the old days (laughs) but uh i i I don't take i don't take much value in that um Yeah. yeah
0: you wouldn't try it
1: no 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 and it's funny because, like, I, I'm an adventurous eater. I'll try just about anything. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure if you, you know, yeah, I've got some 14-year-old. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> not doing that. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah.
0: Wrong. Evil.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, how could I not ask that question? Because, I mean, yeah. we were getting yeah. pretty heavy there with the uh, mass death and stuff. I yes, had to find yes. a way to lighten it without completely getting off the topic.
1: <laughs> yes, thank you for that.
0: Uh I did, I did do some research on trichinosis just, just because, so I I did have a couple things I wanted to point out. Uh, He does say another one of his kind of self-defeating points. He says that um, basically the reason why Israel was uh, prohibited from eating pork, um, or people say the reason is because of things like trichinosis and the various parasites and germs and stuff that can be associated with pork meat. And he said that um, trichinosis can actually occur in all climates. I don't see how that defeats <laughs> what he was saying about the climate no. of the ancient Middle East. Um, but I I think he actually did say that uh, it wasn't a thing in the ancient Middle East. And I found uh, in an article from the S- Smithsonian that it actu- absolutely was. And that's probably one of the main reasons that uh, that pork uh, had been prohibited because it actually had culturally fallen out hundreds of years before God's law to Israel. Uh, The Egyptians actually already pretty much weren't eating it for for those exact reasons.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's great. I didn't know about trichinosis back then. There was an assumption there. I also make that assumption based on the different foods that the Israelites were not supposed to eat. Yeah. And most of those foods, uh, like the shellfish, they mm-hmm. spoil really rapidly, yeah. and, and you get really sick, Yeah, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of things there yeah. um, that make me curious. Uh, the other thing I found interesting is, so the Israelites are, you know— they got an 11-day walk, and it takes them 40 years. They're lost in the desert, right? Yeah. So, they're, they're, These are my people because they are vast underachievers. I come from a long line of underachievers. That's not true. My dad's amazing. Um, uh,
0: you are, too, so I'm just going to leave that <laughs> leave that there. I was at your retirement party, and uh, a lot of people had a, a lot of amazing things to say about your career. So,
1: Yeah, it cost me a lot of money to get them to say those things, but thank you. Um, Shut up. <laughs> So, but back to the pigs, one of the things I, I found, so God has these people, and he basically takes the smallest tribe in the land, and he says, I'm going to make you my people as an example of what a people who follow me can be can do, right? Yeah. So he takes, it's like David is a good example. He's the smallest brother. He's a shepherd. He's a nothing. It's like, oh, you're a kid. Get out of here. And and God rises him up. Well, he does the same thing with the Israelites. And one of the things, one of the ways he does that is he sets them apart. hmm and so God doesn't necessarily have to have reasons that you and I understand or agree with for all of these things. But one of the things I find fascinating is in Canaanite society, they um, used pigs for sacrificial animals. And God was calling the Israelites to use the other animals because they were food as sacrificial animals. Mm-hmm. To use pigs for... I think would potentially have put them on the same level in, in a certain sense as the Canaanites, which we all know, not great people. Douglas Wilson said he would kill one if one jumped in front of him, which I thought was pretty inflammatory. But whatever,
0: he I think said, there's a new covenant in that historical moment when God <laughs> told them to do that, and <laughs> he would be <laughs>
1: fine with that. Feels feels to me like there's a new covenant, Nick. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but so God wants to set these people apart in a number of different ways. And wouldn't it make sense to not eat the animal that your enemies eat and sacrifice on a daily basis? Yeah. Yeah. definitely. So that's a, that's a reason that Hitchens never t- touched on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of things that he never touched on. Yeah. One, one thing that I, I wanted to point out about uh, the law in Israel is, uh, more of a question, really. Uh, well, I guess one more thing would be that, uh, probably one, one reason pork tended to spoil more was because of the large quantity of it and things like chickens get eaten faster. So, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of practical things he didn't really touch on as far as why it was prohibited. But, um, but basically I was going to ask you that exact thing about Israel being set apart. Do you think it matters if these laws are arbitrary? Like like let's just say they are arbitrary, like God didn't really have any specific reason for, for prohibiting pigs. If the purpose right. is to set Israel apart in their behavior, does it matter if there's a reason?
1: No, I, yeah. I really don't think that it does. I think like I mean we, we have a faith that in some lenses is crazy. Right? I mean we yeah. we 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 have a God who has no beginning and no end. Where in, in many other areas we say everything has a beginning and an end. We have a God who doesn't degrade. And the fourth law of thermodynamics, which we all accept as true, is that everything is degrading. Right? So we have all of these things that most people, you know, it, it's no surprise to me when somebody looks at Christianity and hasn't done any study or thought, thinks we're nuts. I get it. And so when God gives us rules, it's Easy to try and find a reason for all of them because, especially in this society, we need a reason for everything. And if there's a few in there that don't have a reason, except it's a test, I'm okay with that. I look at the Old Testament in this this like there may be some robust debate here because maybe I'm wrong, but I look at the Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament as uh, rudimentary uh, fractions, meaning uh, we're we're a people. Well, you you don't take your five-year-old and you don't teach your five-year-old algebra. They can't handle it. You start off with addition, then you go to subtraction, then you go to fractions, and you you progress them. And so the Israelites are starting off a little bit more advanced than, say, Noah and the kids, Mm -hmm. but we're in fractions. And so God is giving them a little bit of slightly complicated math to help them live not a perfect life, not a trouble-free life, but a better opportunity at a abundant life. To reveal Him to them. Yeah, to reveal yeah. Him. And so by the time Christ comes, now we're starting to hit algebra. Yeah. And so I think God, in a loving, condescending way, dumbed it down for these people and had to make it so simple that He gave them some of these rules that you and I, I mean, I was, again, in Deuteronomy today, Linda and I were reading some of the marriage customs and some of the you know it sounds so patriarchal would be our 21st century term um and in some of them we can figure out there's really good reasons for some of these laws um and some i just don't know the reason and that doesn't mean there one doesn't exist it means i don't know it but if we ever get to a point where we can know all reasons and know that this one doesn't have a reason okay yeah no it's not it's not like I never tested my own children when they were growing up with a rule that was maybe a little arbitrary yeah. just to see if they would follow the rule.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean I I think yeah I think there there probably is a reason for everything but I, I think it is it is worth pointing out that it's like the the reason for the law was maybe not the most important thing behind it but the fact that God was challenging them and and setting them apart from other people and so Uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds good on, on its surface. It sounds good that like, oh, well, this Bible is just made up of all these crazy random things, but is it,
1: is it random? You know, like, no, not really. (laughs) Yeah. Let's use my kitchen as an example, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a cupboard that is the snack cupboard. It has all the snacks, all the good stuff in it. And we have a cupboard on the other side of the kitchen that has got all the poisons and toxins in it. And we teach our kids not to go into the snack cupboard without permission, not to grab those things. And maybe I really don't care if they eat all the Oreos. Who cares, right? We'll run out of Oreos. There's no more. Okay, you ate them all. That's a lesson in itself. But I teach them not to go in the snack cupboard without my knowledge, not because I fear the snack cupboard, but because it's a cupboard and I fear the poison cupboard. Mm. And so I don't need to extrapolate that out for my four-year-old. I just need them to follow my my words and my wisdom, because I know ultimately if they'll go into this cupboard anytime they want, they'll find their way over to that cupboard, and that cupboard's dangerous. And I feel like God is setting up um, rules and uh, laws to help us avoid a cupboard that we might even not know exists. Yeah,
0: that's a very, very good point. And earlier to your um, earlier analogy about math, I don't know if you did this intentionally, but you were pretty much paraphrasing what the London Baptist Confession says about the covenants, where it uh, says that it was steps leading to the gospel. I don't want to butcher it. I'm going to pull it up here and read it. Uh, This covenant is revealed in the gospel, first of all to Adam in the promise of salvation by the seed of the woman, and afterwards by further steps until the full discovery thereof was completed, in the new Testament. So, you know, some, some views of the covenants is that uh, these are kind of the exact same covenant just with different signs and different, you know, ways of doing things like circumcision is just an older version of baptism, but the London Baptist confession points, uh, paints it as this thing that's progressing towards something, you know, it it is actually being steadily more and more revealed.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, d- I did not intentionally do that. I, I did yeah. not know that, so thank you for that. That's good. I liked um, that analogy a lot. Cool. Yeah. Um. You brought me to a place just now on something I did not know, and I definitely learned from Hitchens, assuming he's telling you the truth, where he talks about that practice, and I'm looking through the book right now trying to find it, with the Jewish rabbis and the circumcision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i i did not know that that was a thing it's definitely not
0: in the bible i mean it's not explicitly
1: yeah said. and so it's that's okay i was i was gonna ask you like what what do we do with that because i mean you know my past yeah i i, yeah. I worked as a police officer forever i worked as a detective for a long time including child abuse and sexual mm-hmm. crimes and i'm telling you right now that doesn't go over well with me no <laughs> no, not at all.
0: I, honestly, I was surprised how taken aback I was right. by by that statement because he starts out by saying, "Suppose you caught me doing this." He didn't tell you what he was talking about first. Right? He says, "Suppose you caught me doing this," and and like honestly, that I mean, you probably already know that's not the edgiest thing I've ever heard in my life. So there was no uh transcendent reason why this should shock me so much, but right. it just the way it was presented and the way that yeah. it came up, uh, just, I mean, I, it took me 30 seconds probably to like get out of a stupor. I was just like shocked that, that he would say it that way. Um, yeah. I don't, I mean, it's your yeah. show. I don't
1: know if you need to go into detail, but I just, you know, for anybody that might be listening, I, I think we might get three listeners on this episode. Um, <laughs> Well, I do intend to tell my mom and dad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll listen so, to it too, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a sort of Hasidic fundamentalists who hope for the second temple to be rebuilt in Jer- Jerusalem to them, mm-hmm. the primitive rite of, and I won't be able to pronounce it, but I'll make it up, Peria Metitza, is part of the original unbreakable covenant with God. Um and so basically it's a it's a type of circumcision that involves uh obviously little boys and a rabbi's mouth. And uh it was it was shocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh not going to leave a good
0: Yelp review for for that <laughs> rabbi. <laughs> you know, it uh yeah. it started off pretty normal. It started off as your normal brisk, but uh really yeah. uh Took a strange turn there at the end. right? Yeah, you know, it's weird. I've never heard about that anywhere besides this book. And I don't know Christopher Hitchens to be the type that would just uh, make something up entirely. Or or to, you know, not even like a really well-sourced thing. Like even the wrong things he says are really well-sourced. You know what I mean? Like in chapter two, he talks about uh, the virgin birth myths in uh, all, all the different mythologies, and I, I talked about that on the last episode, but, uh, you know, he it's a very well-sourced idea, it's just wrong. Right. <laughs> you know, so I, I didn't want to Google that. <laughs> but, sure. But yeah, I, uh, no. <laughs> I, am, I am curious to, to see, like, how prevalent that really is or was, you know.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it's pretty small. It sounds like it's a pretty small community, but... It's a good yeah. idea not to Google it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't need to get flagged
0: for that. Because kind of all
1: thing. of our brothers and sisters that are <laughs> that are worried about certain aspects of our government following them, if you Google that on your phone, you can guarantee the government's going to follow you.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? If they're going to be following people, those are the people I want them following. Um, yeah. Amen and amen. So, So try to think about this chapter. I think this is the last question I've got about chapter three. Uh, try to think about this as an outsider who doesn't believe in the Bible. Do you find this compelling? What he's saying, or or would you still have some
1: of the same logical problems with it? Oh, chapter three. Do I find that compelling? Yeah. Uh, no, no. I mean, yeah. there's a part of me that 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 does, but that's that's an incomplete part. Mm-hmm. And if I can if I can challenge not you in in particular, but your generation, because my kids are of your generation. Um, One of the biggest failings I see is that we've gotten away from critical thinking. And so we have become a country where we read something and we just accept it for the most part as as truth. Um, We just accept it as truth when oftentimes there's another side to the story. And Christopher Hitchens, I think, is very guilty of that. He accepts or proffers certain things as truth when there's whole pieces of complexity that are missing. Mm-hmm. And and chapter three in particular with the whole pig thing, I mean, I think you and I have discussed a few of those things that are potentially missing. Yeah. Um, and then there's there's no charity in Hitchens. There is only, you know, he's a hammer and everybody else is a nail. And it would be interesting, and I think that's where, um, you know, Larry Taunton, which apparently was one of his best friends, his Hitchens, was dying. That's where Taunton is so instrumental, because it, it appears that at, at long last, Hitchens finally found somebody who was contrary in belief, and he spent significant amount of time with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wonder what the Hitchens family was like. He discusses it early in the book a bit, but— His brother Peter is a pretty strong Christian. Yeah, you know, and they've even debated publicly. And so part of me is like watching um, some of those old pundits and uh, a pundit named Schultz, who was on um, one of the left-wing channels, who was just rabid, like you know, neck inflamed, spittle coming out every time he would talk. And this is predates Trump. Every Mm -hmm. time. about conservatism the problem with that is is before that show he was a conservative and so when i look at some of these people i think that this is more capitalistic um, and taking advantage of an opportunity to make money than a true sincere belief and as i watch hitchens in a in a number of his um debates i wonder how much he truly believed some of the things he was saying just like, you know, uh, a lot of the, the, the Christian people he debate, And what I'd really like to do is watch him debate uh, a Muslim. I think that okay. would be fascinating. I've never done it, and I don't know much about the Quran. I've only tried to read a little bit of it, and I didn't get anywhere. Um, but I think it would be fascinating to see how he did that, because it almost comes across to me as a shtick, rather than a core centrality of who he is. Mm-hmm where the good ones, the William Lane Craigs, and again, Molinist, I'm not a Molinist, but but um, the William Lane Craigs, the Larry Tauntons, even the Douglas Wilsons, who I struggle with in some of his thinking as well, but it appears to me at least they sincerely believe it and are not willing to compromise their own integrity and say a lie. Mm-hmm. And if they get caught in something, they'll say, well, that's a really good point or that's a good question.
0: I, I think in the at the end of Collision, there's a conversation in the mm-hmm. back of the limo.
1: Yep. Yeah, he says something to the effect of he, he and I'll paraphrase horribly, but I, I think Hitchens believes he got the better of Wilson in almost everything, except there was one area that Wilson had brought up that he hadn't heard before that really left him puzzling. And I don't remember what that area was. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Hitchens also admitted to his own skepticism of his dogmatic beliefs because he recognized there were holes in it.
0: Mm-hmm. So at least he's honest in in some areas.
1: For yeah. sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, that's what. And maybe I, maybe I wasn't articulate. I feel like there's a stage persona and a back of the limo hanging out with your buddy persona. Yeah and in the the wilson movie i really enjoyed the back of the limo or they were in pubs a lot yeah. i love that persona much more than the stage persona because the stage persona as far as hitchens to me was less genuine yeah
0: well uh moving into chapter four i didn't think we'd get so much mileage out of uh, the pork chapter or what I wanted to call the pork editions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Called it the pork apocalypse. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so I mean, like we said, he he lists a lot of uh, you know tragedies and atrocities done in the name of religion. Uh, I think most of them probably Islamic. Not not really as as much Christianity um, represented. He was talking about homosexuality. And he talked about how some people like to say that homosexuality is unnatural, but he points to, you know, the fact that some animals actually do participate in that. Sure. And that a large number of people do as well. Um, Does the mere presence of a behavior make it natural? Better stated would probably be... Well, I guess in the context of Chapter Four, it, it would be uh, if these behaviors are natural. Which murder, a lot of the times, is a quite mm. natural behavior. Uh, if if a behavior is natural, does that mean that the Bible's not true? <laughs> because because it tells you
1: not to engage in that behavior. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a good example yeah. because I think every culture, um, with very few exceptions, there might be one or two exceptions of some you know tribe in Amazon. Um, is abhorrent to murder. Mm-hmm. You know, ninety-nine percent of the world uh, abhors child abuse, uh, 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 abhors infant sexuality. Uh, you know, those are those are universal things. And C.S. Lewis said, "You know, water. I am thirsty because water exists. And so we abhor things because we were created to abhor those things. Mm-hmm. And so we have an intrinsic human desire." to be moral in the right ways. And the philosophy that Hitchens and Dawkins and Harris and all those guys, the philosophy that they cling to basically negates that moralistic view of the world and and really reduces it down to there is no reason not to murder your neighbor. There is no reason to um, be sacrificial in any way. Uh, There is no reason not to rape. And I think you know, even people that don't have a faith can agree with that. They just don't understand why they agree with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could say for your own self-interest, there's a reason not to murder, but uh, what's the reason to act in your own self-interest? <laughs> you know, like there's no right. ultimate reason to uh, to do what benefits you more in the long run.
1: Yeah, it's all very circular.
0: Yeah. And uh, another thing just about like, the way people are acting in this world and some of the wrong things, uh, people believe or have done, Um, you know, he mentions germ theory and he mentions how, you know, we, we were completely in the dark about that for so long. Uh, but, but almost going right back into chapter three about pork, like God clearly knew about germ theory and I don't believe Moses or any of the writers of the, the Bible did because, uh, God obviously quarantined people uh, very intentionally for certain things, and I don't think they ever knew why. Like, like on a cellular, you know, molecular level, I don't think they understood germs.
1: No, clearly, but there's your, there's your math example again, too, is that they, um, you know, the, the Bible is excellent in cleanliness. It's excellent in ritualistic behavior that is for human flourishing and you may not always agree with it, and I'm guessing they didn't have, you know, bars of lava hanging on a rope in their garage either, yeah. but they had these purification rituals in order to keep them clean to reduce the instance of of harm and death, which I think is amazing, and that's, that's another example. We may find out that some of those laws in, you know, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we may find out in a hundred years that there's a perfectly good reason for some of the things that we think are abominable. Yeah, um, we're just we're just not as smart as we think we are.
0: Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, interesting that uh, the Bible has never changed and is kind of affirming things, and we're just slowly <laughs> catching up to what the Bible has to say. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. That's not to say that there's not a lot of parts in there that are. Um, at first glance disagreeable, and even maybe a second and third glance, you know, when he talks about wiping out people and doing things. Those are really tough, tough verses to go through. As a believer, I can't imagine how tough they are for, for somebody who looks at us and thinks we're all crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I wrote in my notes, uh, two words, sanctioned pedophilia. And I didn't give myself any
1: other context of that at all. So. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just
0: breeze past that. Anyway. Well, I, if it makes you comfortable, <laughs> I'm going to come
1: out strongly against that. So, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, brave position. Yeah, uh, brave I,
0: position. Yeah. yeah, I know this I'm, is countercultural, but I'm
1: yeah. going to come out strongly. Against. I, I, I have a guttural uh, instinct against yeah. that, yeah. and that's that's where I think uh, Jesus is pacifistic in nature, but not a pacifist. I did love that at the end of the chapter, where he talks about George Miller and Hal Lindsey. Oh, yeah. And there's a, there's a number of current Christians that he could have spoken about that he didn't. And I was curious why he went back in, in, into antiquity for those, yeah. those end-of-world beliefs. Because I, I think, and this will probably get me in trouble with, few, with some people in your audience, but I think part of the problem that we're suffering from right now with some of the Christian nationalism and the other things that we're experiencing is this clinging too tightly to a pre-tribulation style eschatology in that what that kind of does is it makes a, a, a segment of us think that we're insiders and we have to always be on the lookout and when we see those things we sound the alarm to everybody else so they can follow us yeah and i i think you know with with some of what we've seen, that's a problem. And I I think, you know, Jesus pretty clearly tells us that, that there's, there's basically something that even he doesn't know. And that's when, when, when this is going to happen, when he's going to come back the second time. And, and uh, for all of us puny minded little earthlings to run around thinking we can figure it out through some code in the Bible or, you know, some other litmus test and then we're going to be the ones that expose the world to it. I think, that, I think that's false doctrine. Yeah. And I I don't know what's going to happen in the end with that, but I don't want to be on the side of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. We everyone wants to be an insider. Everyone wants uh, arcane <laughs> knowledge, uh, but I don't think any pre-trib people listen to this show. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't find the uh, the passage i was talking about but uh he has this like paragraph long thing where he says by all means a bunch of times and he says well by all means circumcise a a boy with your mouth and by all means you know uh cut uh keep people from taking vaccines and by all means but but the second last one that he listed was by all means instruct your co-workers on creationism during your lunch break oh yeah, I do. I do remember that. How did talking about creationism get slipped into sanctioned pedophilia and uh, physical abuse?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's uh, that's that's bit of a where straw I, man there. Yeah, totally. That's where I think Hitchens is a bit of a snake oil salesman. I don't even think he he believes some of what he's throwing out here right now, but I think he he sees Christians as as people who are literally carnival barkers selling a product that doesn't work, mm-hmm. and I think in his in his own unique way. He, he equated all of these things that don't work, including uh, creationism. Although, again, to go back, you know, so how, how did life begin? And it's such a simple question. And if you just stick to that same, you know, so, okay, so tell me how it began. And so whether it's the, the lightning bolt into the cosmic soup that, you know, creates the accidental single-cell amoeba Okay well that essentially not only does that mean that our relatives are monkeys and apes, but really that what that means is our relatives are salamanders and heads of cabbage because that single cell amoebas had to be continue to morph and become things and, and just the the chances of that and the chances of, of a male something and a female something having parts that fit together mm-hmm. is is beyond our, our current mathematical, probabilities and possibilities it just Mm -hmm. it can't it can't be and so um i i think that's where the whole atheistic argument falls apart is they cling to science science is generally a math-based philosophy right Mm -hmm. plus this equals this and so therefore this is going to be how we do it and with their own tool with their own math i think we can demonstrate that it's it's it doesn't work it's broken.
0: And uh, he's basically, you know, calling for all these things to be criminalized. Uh, and he slips, you know, creationism in there. Uh, but, you right. know, a, a <laughs> bunch of behaviors that Christianity wouldn't condone by any by any means. I mean, I don't think there's anything in that chapter that Christianity would specifically condone, uh, especially all the child abuse and stuff that he talked about. But uh, you know it's kind of ironic that under you know a different time and place, the things that he's talking about in this book would be completely outlawed uh, you know if if we started criminalizing ideas and right. criminalizing uh, certain certain thoughts, um, yeah, just uh bizarre for for him to take that because he's he's generally a liberty minded person, uh, but he's he's come across as a pretty big neocon in this book so far as far as what he has to say about the middle east and stuff
1: so i wonder i wonder what what state he would cling to as a as a as a good model of flourishing yeah i mean i guess you could go back to rome and greece yeah but i'm not sure those were good models for everybody uh, they lots were good of pedophilia models. in <laughs> ancient Greece. <laughs> right. Well, a yeah. ton kind of pedophilia and, and you also have a, a caste system, right? So most people that know what goes on in India, when they find out, they're appalled by it. Yeah. And 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 that's one of the things that makes America unique is we don't have a caste system. You know, the, there's there's no one here that I'm aware of that says you were born into poverty. And so therefore you can't be rich,
0: you know, whether critical
1: race theorists. Well, yeah, that's (laughs) again, that's, that's, that's self-refuting theory. That's postmodernism at its worst. I mean, postmodernism is self-refuting, you know, it's Mm -hmm. these people that subscribe to these theories wholeheartedly and full throatedly are going to run out of victims and so I think that's what we're seeing now is they're starting to feed on themselves. Yeah. And so when you, you feed on yourself, I mean, should we be worried about those things as Christians? Yeah. Should we be against them? Yeah. Should we go out and, and violently protest? Absolutely not. God's in control. He knew this was coming. Um, it's frustrating and it's okay to be frustrated, but man, we're called to hold love in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And, um, what if What if the way to reach somebody who's fully indoctrinated in critical race theory and postmodernism, what if the way to reach them is an upside-down kingdom exposed to us by Jesus, and um, in, instead of doing that, we go out and we're on the front lines with a sign telling them that we hate you or we disagree with you or you're a jerk? Yeah. I think we've missed the mark.
0: Yeah. I uh, got a little trivia for you, since he, oh. he mentioned Jim Jones and yes, uh, Kool-Aid. Yes, the Guyana tragedy. <laughs> did you know that uh, they did not use Kool-Aid? It, it I was, did not, It no. was Flavor-Aid. <clears throat> oh, wow. Yeah, so, uh, you know, if I was committing mass suicide, I would definitely spend the extra money for the name brand, but... Uh, wow, he went generic Kool-Aid. Can you imagine being Kool-Aid? And actually having nothing to do with that event, but forever you are mischaracterized as the thing that killed all those people. Wow. Mary, Mary yeah. Magdalene was not a prostitute, from from what we know. The Bible never mentions her being a prostitute, but that's how she's remembered throughout all right. history. That's just so so messed up. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so anyways, I don't know. Just a, a little piece of uh trivia uh there. Uh, he he mentions uh, Abraham and Isaac. He he uh-huh. talks about uh, Abraham being praised for uh, being willing to kill his son. Right. And I, I think that's a big misunderstanding of of the story, uh, for sure. sure. Uh, but uh, he's you know he's actually lauded for his faith. Um, and and the thing that I thought of when I read that is that uh, you know Abraham would be a crazy murderer with voices in his head uh, unless what the Bible says is true. Right. that's the key difference. So (laughs) the Bible is true. So the hypotheticals don't really matter. It doesn't really matter what would have happened if, uh, you know, God's plan failed because God's plan was not going to fail, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, and I think, I think Abraham knew that.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, Hebrews even tells us that uh, he he believed that if he got that far, God would raise him from the dead, you know. So, right. Uh, very misunderstood story, uh, for sure, which I think most things
1: are. I, I was going to say, aren't they all? It feel, yeah. I feel like so many of them are. And, yeah. and that doesn't mean I have complete understanding. It just means as I get into understanding, my mind is often blown by, wow, I've read this a dozen times and I never saw that.
0: yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, every every time I read through the Bible, I'm seeing, you know, twice as much stuff as I saw before. It's just it never ends, never yeah. ends. But uh, do you remember when Isaac asked his father where the the sacrifice was? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so great. Yeah, yeah <laughs> was, don't worry you? about it.
1: Yeah, don't. No, you, God's don't worry provide
0: about it. it. God will provide. Yeah, He yeah. already has in a lot of ways. You're right here. <laughs> what do you think the walk home was like? <clears throat> right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, Isaac was totally confused. So, Dad, help me. What happened? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't understand anything that was happening there. Um, <laughs> so then he, he mentions, uh, you know, the Bible's mistreatment of women. And uh, I think that he's, he's pretty far off base with that. You already mentioned going through Deuteronomy with your wife and how uh, some things are a little, uh, you know, hard to understand on their surface. And, you know, but maybe there is a good reason for them, um, my my friend Nick Quint uh, has done a lot of work in this area, and uh, he's an egalitarian. I'm not, but uh, you know, he's done a lot of a lot of the work in uh, showing that uh, the ways that the Bible uh, favored women was actually really countercultural for the time and place they were in, and sure. uh, things like Chris Pobletti mentions a lot that uh, women were the first. People to uh, be told about the resurrection, and uh, you know, women are listed as uh, you know high high-ranking members of, of the early churches and stuff, and uh, that was just not culturally how women were treated. You know?
1: Right? Yeah. So I subscribe to that theory as well, and that, that that so that theory though basically says that God is easing His people into it in the capacity that He knew that they could understand and not totally rebel. Mm-hmm. And so like a a modern day of way of looking at that is, is if I told, um, you know, my wife or my daughter, if we were going to go on a mission, um, to the Middle East and we were pick your country, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Jordan. And I said, you know what? I think we need to take a bold stand here for Jesus. Go ahead and wear that mini skirt, stand on the corner and hold your Bible up and tell them they're all going to hell and they're wrong in that, um, you know, God God, God is a, a trinity and see how it goes. And I think with 100% certainty, we could predict exactly how that would play out. Mm-hmm. But we could also go there and we could ease into society and we could slowly discuss and, and debate in an earnest and winsome way and, and slowly begin to, to win converts to our way of thinking um, in a way that would glorify God and not have somebody dead in a pool of blood with their limbs torn in 20 different directions. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> that was a gruesome image you just painted.
1: Thank her. you. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it a lot. <laughs>
0: um, but uh, he, you know, on that note, he also says that uh, Eve was just for Adam's use and comfort. And uh, I don't think that's entirely
1: uh, inaccurate. Kitchen say. says that, right? He does say that. Uh, yeah, that's and that's that's a total falsehood. I don't, exactly. I don't, I don't speak or read Hebrew, but occasionally uh-huh. you get a word study, and the whole term for Eve is uh, Ezer Konegdo. and as a Ezer Konegdo, she, our Bibles typically translate that as helpmeet, and uh, a, a helper is not a good enough way to translate that. Really, what she is is that Adam was incomplete and she completed him. Mm -hmm. And I hate to use another faith symbolism, but it's almost a yin and yang type of thing where the two become one in ways that are unique to our species and it allows for human flourishing. And so Eve is to come shoulder to shoulder with Adam, you know. And there's the, the old, you've probably heard it before in your Sunday school, you know, Eve did not come from. From Adam's head, so that he could lord over her with his yeah. mind. Eve did not come from Adam's feet, so that he could walk over her. Eve came from Adam's side, so that they could—they were co-equals and could co-overlook um, uh, God's creation and basically mm-hmm. be, um, you know, his chief gardeners in in creation.
0: Yeah, and that's that's exactly why uh, you know the way that he paints it is not. Uh, accurate. I think probably just for what he leaves out, because it's not as if Eve wasn't useful or or a comfort right. to him. But but to say that she was like this item to be used by by Adam is completely, right. uh, you know, whatever. But uh, you know, I was actually going to say that the the translation of helper um, still isn't really that bad because that's a, a term God gives to himself. Uh, right. The holy, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He he sure. calls himself a helper when he's helping uh, Israel in battle a lot. So I mean, I think we should be willing to take the same designation that God <laughs> gives to Himself. But um,
1: yeah, it's not a dimin- diminutive or demeaning description at all. No. And in our English translations, have done a good job of leading to that belief. Yeah, you know, it's the whole. Um, we, we have a tendency, we love to look at Thomas Jefferson with the Jeffersonian Bible and say, how dare you cut out God's, you know, Jesus's miracles. Um, we look at the slave traders who cut out Exodus and say, how dare you do that? But we we don't have much compunction with people mistranslating important words and then living off those philosophies and theories for our whole and I, I think we need to take that very, very seriously. And that's where the the study of the Bible comes in. And I'm not sure that anywhere it's said that we need to to study it daily. I don't think that's a a, a direction, but I think that's a good practice.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, you know, in reality, the to to give Adam this massive undertaking of taking dominion over creation, and then to basically find that he can't do it alone (laughs) and to say that this is the one I'll create to help you with this massive undertaking that you cannot do alone uh and she's gonna help you with it um yeah I just I just don't see how people interpret that in in uh in a way that demeans women you know but it obviously it happens it's (laughs) historically precedented
1: (laughs) yeah yeah well if it's anything my like my marriage to my wife um I, I probably would have been willing to try and go it alone and then you would have gotten some really bizarrely named animals and some I would have forgotten. So thank goodness I have an organized woman who comes along and, and, and you know, gives me my my, my list and and yeah. and helps me become better than I am.
0: Yeah. Uh, he cast doubt on the idea that Jesus ever existed in reality, which is a pretty brave position to take because uh, all contemporary histories of that time maintain that he was a real person uh, who was said to have risen from the dead. (laughs) No one even really has an argument against him raising from the dead so much. Um,
1: Yeah, well, that that was the part that I've read so far that probably shocked me the most that he made that claim. mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of, so I'm old, there's a lot of stuff that goes into like, they used to call it the swoon theory. There's a lot of theories that, that Jesus was not actually resurrected from the dead. There's, a, you know, the swoon theory is that he passed out, and woo, swoon, and, and then he just woke up after a couple of days and like, hey, well, I'm in this cave. Um, and, and while that's an incredible theory for people to offer, it's a theory. Um, the one theory that I think we should be able to just throw out is the one where Jesus never existed. Yeah, that doesn't even seem credible or realistic to me.
0: No.
1: Um, so that one kind of kind of threw me for a loop at the end, and that actually made me want to maybe. And maybe this is a, a literary device where it kind of made me wanted to see where he was going to go with that and expand on it, because that theory is so incredible as to have no value to me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, I mean, plenty of people today saying that he never existed. But I mean, you're not going to find anyone from that time and place that would have, would have denied. I mean, it would be, it would be akin to saying like, yeah, you know, there was this fable about a guy named Donald Trump and, uh, (laughs) you know, there's no real evidence he ever existed, but uh, a lot of people talked about him and said he was going to do some great
1: things. And yeah, I think it's absolute silliness to say that he never existed. I don't think it's, I think it's misguided, but not silly to, to ask what form he existed in. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they just found some more uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. Really? Yeah. No way. Yeah, it was in the news yesterday or two days ago. They found a bunch of fragments, and it's wow. books of the Old Testament, and they think it predates the Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls themselves. Wow. Yeah, so it's, it's crazy. And so there's all these, you know, the Old Testament, there's all these things that point forward. He's coming, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. and the New Testament, there's all these things that say, He came, He came, He came, He came. And to discount so many disparate things that all come together and form that is is mind-boggling to me.
0: Yeah. Well, I think people think it's like one book. Right. Like one book where someone wrote all this kind of corroborating stuff. Yeah. And then if you're using that same book... To uh you know validate or or invalidate something else then you know you're just being internally inconsistent but it's like these are 40 authors over 3,000 years like maybe longer i I think it might even be longer than that um and it's like yeah it's not one (laughs) that's a lot of history bound up in that one volume you know
1: yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's amazingly intricate it's that's why i loved tim mackey's hypertext um thought process yeah. on the Bible, that it just links everywhere, it just glows the whole, when you open it, it glows with hypertexts mm-hmm. um, and and I think that's that's amazing and I think that's something that you know, most people don't know, and again how why would people know this who've never read the Bible why, yeah. why would we expect them, if you've never opened it, you've never read it and you don't follow the God we follow why would I expect you to know any of those things yeah. and, and that's where I think neighborliness and charity come in
0: Definitely. And the Spirit does reveal so much to us through our reading sure. uh, that it's, it's almost uh, irrational. It's almost yeah. irrational to uh, try to force people to understand things that we, for the most part, believe they can't understand without uh, certain help that, that comes from being regenerate and being uh, yes. you know, counted among God's family. So. yes
1: now I know you're a cessationist so i'll take <laughs> i'll take that definition slightly out of uh out of tune or out of key here but <laughs> but can can the holy Spirit use your wife to bring okay. things yeah absolutely uh yeah. you
0: know i i think
1: i think people
0: uh misunderstood that I was like trying to say that God would not be uh like <clears throat> I don't know. I I think there's not a new word from God is the main point of cessationism. You know, there's no new scripture. There's, you know, God doesn't have a word for you from this particular person. But, uh, you know, I I even said in the episode that the Holy Spirit impresses things on people's hearts and we're led by God's providence in all sorts of directions and into all sorts of conversations and stuff. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely at work in a providential way all over the place, but I don't, I don't believe in tongues or prophecy or anything like that happening today. Sure. Yeah. Um, One last thing I wanted to mention. He gives us a a glimpse into his own soul here in a very, very subtle (laughs) statement that he, that I noticed Um, he called Uh, He was talking about heaven, and he says that uh, Christianity has uh, failed to invent a tempting heaven. And uh, this actually proves kind of what we were just talking about, um, that, you know, uh, heaven, as the Bible presents it, where we worship God for eternity, uh, you know, wouldn't really be all that tempting to an unbeliever at all. Because you know unbelievers don't seek God and and revile what is good and you know they right. call good evil and evil good and and all that stuff. So it, it you know it's it for just two words, <laughs> the words tempting heaven. He actually told us everything that uh, that we need to know about the state of his soul at the <laughs> time of this writing.
1: Sure. Well, it told me he misses the whole point of Christianity too. Yeah. So he came at it from a from a Westerner, and so he came at it. Um, from Christianity is all about where I'm going and what's going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's the point of Christianity. Christianity is not about you and me going to heaven. Christianity is about Jesus bringing heaven back down to earth. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're waiting for that time and we're, we're heading towards that. And so our, our goal down here as Christians, and we fail all the time, and we've had this discussion before, is is to emulate Jesus, to introduce other people to him. And since Jesus isn't walking the earth a little bit in your cessationist vein, we're the embodiment of that to the best of our abilities, and we're supposed to make them excited for the hope that lives in us. And so when earth and heaven reunite again, as we all know they were united at one point. Way back in the beginning, um, then we will have what we're searching for.
0: Yeah. Man, Well, any uh, concluding thoughts? We've been going almost <laughs> two hours. This is now the <laughs> longest episode in Death of Death history. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I, that's, that's it's all. That's my good. fault. If it wasn't good, it would have been. It uh, would have been ended a little earlier <laughs> <laughs> than, than this. <laughs> well, I did notice you hit stop. Um, you stopped recording about an hour and a half ago. So,
1: yeah, I got all
0: I needed. <laughs> the first, once once we talked about Man, Bear, Pig, it was pretty yeah, much uh, yeah.
1: all good. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I I just appreciate it. Was honestly, it was just nice talking to you. If there's anything usable in here, that's a bonus. Um, it was it was nice talking to you and seeing you. I hope you and Ashley are well.
0: Yeah. Oh, she um, says hi by the way. I, t- I talked to her on the phone uh,
1: seconds cool. before I dialed you up. So, sweet. Um, yeah. We'll tell her Linda and I say hello back. We miss you guys. We're, we're happy for you, but we do miss you. Yeah. And no, thanks for the honor of being a part of your show.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for for being on the show, man. Uh, I need to have you back soon because when I was preparing for this episode, I realized there's so many things that we could be talking about, um, <laughs> you know, uh, from, from your life story to uh, all the ministries that uh, you and Linda <laughs> are involved in. Uh, Linda also has just so much value to bring to any conversation that one would be lucky enough to have with her, so um, we definitely need to have you back on to talk about uh,
1: stuff. Well, Linda would be a fantastic guest. I I know that you're (laughs) desperate for material when you have to turn towards me, so... (laughs)
0: <laughs> you haven't been listening to the show lately have I, you <laughs> i hope i just hope the show
1: survives beyond this episode that's all Oh I'm come on
0: trevor said the same thing and he's still <laughs> one of the
1: highest downloaded episodes of all time well trevor's actually smart and he has a a, a sadly compelling story come so, on did you just I, try to say that you're not smart <laughs> no <laughs> that would no. be that would be dishonest of you um yeah no no i i honestly i enjoy the Intellectual rigor, you know. Like I said, I didn't. I didn't really prepare for this. We were just sort of talking, and it was fun.
0: Well, yeah, that was that was amazing that you didn't prepare for this outside of just reading. Uh, So we've got good chemistry, you and I. Yes. Yeah. Well. (laughs) Well, uh, this this Tuesday, I'm doing another episode on statism. So uh, maybe if that uh, stokes any ideas in your head, uh, we could have you on to uh, talk about that kind of stuff. Or uh, just literally anything you would like to talk about. I will have any conversation with you that you want. Uh, It's a free pass here, so um,
1: so we'll we'll get you on soon. I'm free all the time, so anytime you want to chat, let me know.